Hey, Sandy. Hey, Rob. What's that you're reading? Oh, this? It's the new book by award-winning real estate investor Quentin D'Souza, The Property Management Toolbox. It has all of the tools and systems for starting out as a new landlord and all of the resources to create less stress while expanding your rental portfolio. It is awesome. Wow, that sounds amazing. Where can I get one? Just go to www.theontariolandlordtoolbox.com. The Property Management Toolbox, a how-to guide for Ontario real estate investors and landlords. I'm going to order my copy right now. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 8. Hello, and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you live the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me is Sandy McKay. How are you doing, Sandy? Hey, Rob. I'm, I'm doing great, and I'm super, super pumped up about this interview uh, we got to share with everyone today because, um, you know, he really brought a lot of super value to the table here and uh and, and he's kind of energy i think it's just gonna be great yeah yeah it was really really awesome and for everyone out there if you have a question or a suggestion or a comment please go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca there's a section under each episode where you can leave a comment or if you would like to uh, rate us which i would really appreciate if you guys would just take a couple seconds to go on there and click five stars for us for all of our hard work <laughs> that would be great over on iTunes please do that yep and uh, and also just a reminder to go check out the 7 Freedom Activators the report there on the website breakthroughreapodcast.ca I want to encourage everyone to go download that report totally free and yeah I know there's lots of great value in there for everyone so go grab that while you can alright so in this interview coming your way right now uh, we're going to talk with Eric Mitchell who's uh, you know really really smart dude and he's going to talk to us about why education is so important to your investing career and continuing education at that. He's going to talk about why he spent so much time in bingo halls and bars when growing his business. And he's going to tell you the three biggest mistakes people make in real estate, investing in real estate. Yeah, this one went pretty long because he just had so much great advice and information to share with us. So we're not going to spend too much time here on the intro. We'll just get right into it. Here's our interview with Eric Mitchell. Perfect. Well, we really appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, we heard you speak a couple of weeks back and it was really awesome. So can't wait to get into things here tonight. Mm -hmm. So Thank you for being with us. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, so Eric and his brother Kevin have been full-time real estate investors and educators for over seven years now. They've worked over 25,000 hours growing their businesses. They've completed well over 50 real estate transactions and own properties all over southern Ontario in cities like Barrie, uh, Kitchener, Cambridge, Hamilton, Sarnia, and uh, Chatham-Kent. 
They've designed real estate investment training programs for agents looking to expand their business by working with investors. They have also designed individual strategic investment courses and memberships for individuals looking to expand their investment portfolio through the purchase of real estate. Their countless hours of hard work and, and tons of experience have established them as, as real experts in the field of real estate investing. So definitely very grateful to have you here right now with us, Eric. Anything else that the listeners should know there before we get into it? I'm sure whatever's missing out of that uh, fantastic intro is going to be talked about sometime, at some point in time within the call here. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, awesome. So uh, we're going to go with the typical first question, but never a typical answer. How did you get started in real estate investing? Well, that's uh, an interesting uh, experience in and of itself. My brother approached me back when I was uh, still in university, probably about nine years ago, and um, came to me with this concept of investing in real estate. My brother has a background and went through university and became a certified uh, registered teacher. Uh, my background was from the Richard Ivey School of Business, and I understood the, obviously the business aspect a lot more. He really didn't get much... I guess anywhere with me. I don't know if it's because he was the older brother or because, you know, he was a teacher and he wasn't really going to tell me the business major what to do sort of thing. But eventually he, he put that bug in my ear and kept on me, got me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I had the old school mentality, go out, work hard, you know, for a corporation, work up the corporate ladder. You're going to get taken care of sort of thing. That book kind of really shifted my mindset to something similar. But eventually, uh, you know, as I learned enough about the business, go out, expand and do it and purchase a business or start a business on my own. Now, eventually, um, over the next year or so, he ended up bringing me to the Real Estate and Wealth Expo in Toronto, and I heard some big names there. Um, Bill Bartman, he's a billionaire, Tony Robbins, Donald Trump, and I think hearing it from these professionals themselves and these business minds, um, how they talked about real estate really gave me that shift, and it was Sunday afternoon after the event. I went across the street to Eastside Mario's, and I was shaking like crazy. I remember uh, cold pine Canadian in my hand, and uh, I can remember that very vividly. And at that point in time, I actually made the decision to um, quit my job the week after and um, start investing in real estate full time. Very different approach, I guess, than most people have. Well, I was at a fairly young age at that point in time, wasn't really liking the job. I was only there for about a year, but knew it wasn't for me. So we actually purchased an education program uh, that happened three weeks after that. So I went in, worked for a week, gave my two weeks notice and um, hopped into that, I guess, education weekend and decided, you know what, let's basically jump in the deep end, see if we can swim uh, sort of situation. And, you know, like I said, not many people take that approach. We both came out of school with uh, with a lot of debt. We had about over $100,000 uh, between the two of us and maybe between our parents about uh, forty fifty thousand. $50,000 coming from a fairly low uh, middle-class income type family. So in that situation, luckily, in hindsight, I can see that that start really led towards a lot of our successes that we've been able to achieve in real estate. But long story short, that's how we got started. That's awesome. Did your uh, Was your brother already investing before you started or was he like kind of at the same time quitting his job at the same time and you guys both jumped in like that? Well, 
actually, the two years that he was kind of getting on me about it, he had, um, within that maybe the last year or so, year and a half, what he had done was he went out and purchased a flip in that period of time. And I had kind of helped him just to understand the business a little bit more. And I think he wanted me there to help with the bookkeeping. Uh, his yeah. organization is definitely not his strong suit. But, you know, me and him are so different that his weaknesses are my strengths and, and uh, vice versa sort of thing. But he had done a little bit before that. And he had also purchased a triplex. Uh, so he was into it. At the same time, though, he was substitute teaching, uh, working another another full-time job or part-time job on the side as well to make the money. So he was dabbling in it, but definitely I don't think he expected me to take the leap. And once I did, he was right there behind me. I think he quit his job a month and a half later uh, when the school year ended. He, he gave up teaching and uh, jumped in with me. And I guess your organization is why you encourage such a professional approach to real estate investing. Yes, absolutely. That's um, systems and procedures. I I find that that is a part of any good business. And the way we look at it, real estate investing, it really is, you have to treat it like a business. You have to approach it like a business. It is no different than having your own coffee shop or whatever the case may be. You are an entrepreneur at this point in time and each individual property is a business. So I don't care if you own one five or 20, it doesn't really matter. The approach has always got to be the same because if you don't, in my opinion, you're being much more of an amateur. And when you approach real estate investing like an amateur, sure, can you make money? Absolutely, you can. Everybody can get lucky, you know, especially when the market's doing very well. But if you don't approach it like a business, you don't have the systems and procedures in place, you're really depending on luck because there's no way you can repeat that success because you don't know what the success was unless you can have a systemized way in which to invest and be able to refer back to that continuously and ensure that you're improving on every single step along the way. And that's the thing with the systems and procedures. They're always being improved upon and made better so you can invest in a much better way the next time around. And that's what we've done over the last seven years. And I truly believe, you know, that was a big part of our success because we've been able to really tweak it and maximize the returns that we're getting from every individual property as we move forward as well. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. That's one of my weaker suits is uh, the organization and that kind of thing. Like, just for example, recently started looking into different insurance companies where I'd been for the last couple of years just grumbling and complaining about what I was paying for insurance instead of going out and looking for something else. And then when you do, you realize just how much money I could have been saving over the last few years. I can definitely attest to that. I, I know where you're coming from. I think with our just our student rentals, I think I saved $8,000 a year when I changed it over to a new company. Exactly. Which, yeah, which, which was, was amazing, great. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my student rental that I just took a closer look at just recently and realized, wow, a little bit of time spent on something can save you a lot. So, Absolutely. Great. Now, have you already switched to insurance companies, by the way? I have, yes. Okay, because I know Hub International has a fantastic student rental package that they've put together specifically for that, so specific coverages for that, and uh, I haven't seen any better rates in the industry. I've referred over quite a few people to my contact there, and I've never heard them getting denied or, or, or passed on. I think, I don't know if it's a referral-based thing that they allow uh, some exceptions or not, but um, I can always pass along if you're ever looking at uh, you know, going out and doing some more research at any point in time in the future. Feel, get a hold, feel free to get a hold of me. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I saved uh, I saved ninety dollars a month plus oh, uh, almost four hundred dollars for that uh, like administration fee that they charge you just so you can pay monthly. Oh wow. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's a big savings. 13, 13, almost 1400 bucks. That is, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Eric, what type of properties do you uh, specialize in? And uh, what do you prefer to invest in? Um, we specialize um, and actually prefer, um, we don't do single family dwelling homes unless the opportunity to convert it into a student rental or add a um, secondary units and turn it into a duplex, those sorts of things. We, like I said, specialize multi-unit residential, basically anything 12 units or less is what uh, all of our properties fall within that category, I guess you could say. Uh, so that's kind of what we, what we look for specifically. And a lot of the, uh, the properties and the things that we do, we specialize in finding undervalued property. Whether that means, you know, you have bad tenants, and I'm going to go on a little tangent here with, with bad tenants, uh, that causes a lot of headache for a lot of homeowners um, or uh, property, investment property owners can cause motivated sellers we find opportunity there because a lot of them don't want to deal with a headache we've had it where we can't even get into units when we're looking at a property because of the tenants that are in there basically won't quote unquote allow us sort of thing and you know because they can't get them out they want to sell the property and we have a fantastic way to get people out we basically just pay them Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we'll get the property. They have their last month's rent on file, and before we close, we'll go in there and say, "Hey, if you, you know, say we close on January first, like if you get out by the end of January, yeah, I won't make you pay January rent. I'll give you your last month's rent back the day that you move out, as all the place is clean, and now you have first and last month's rent for wherever you're going to go. Or if you don't want to move out, I'll give you 90 days notice because I'm moving in myself." And I'm allowed to kick you out as long as I'm moving in or one of my immediate family members are. 90 days, you don't get any free rent, and you're out by the end of March. Mm-hmm. 100% of the time, they've always taken the money and gotten out. And it's fantastic because then we can go ahead, refill the unit, or do some upgrades, renovations, whatever the case may be at that point in time. Have it at the higher rental amount afterwards and make more money on it. And I had already mentioned you know, things like rezoning, adding units, or we like buying illegal properties. Uh, we'll do the due diligence necessary uh, beforehand to understand that we can do what we want with the property. Um, but looking at, uh, you know, example, I had a sixplex in Hamilton. It was re- zoned two commercial on the bottom, one residential up top, but for the last 30 plus years, been operating as a sixplex. Well, I made some phone calls, went to the city, did my due diligence, and that we went through the whole process of having a non-conforming legal sixplex within that area. It took us a ton of money because we had to bring it up to 2012 Ontario Building Code. But by the time we refinanced it, we put a good chunk of change in our pocket and still own the property and only have an 80% mortgage on it, which, you know, from that perspective, the returns are infinite because we really have no money invested. We actually put money in our pocket in the process. So different things like that, you know, underutilized space, adding some bedrooms for student rentals or purchase properties with an unfinished attic or basement, those sorts of things. We really look at ways to try to improve the cash flow because that in and of itself automatically increases your equity. Because as an investor, we only are willing to pay top whatever dollar that is for that property based on the amount of money we're going to get out of it. That's how everybody evaluates. It's all based on the numbers. So as soon as you increase the cash flow, somebody's willing to pay more for that property. You've increased the value immediately. So that's what we look at, ways to really maximize the returns that we're going to receive, whether it be through the cash flow or equity or a combination of both. 
Awesome. Well, I wanted to uh, just make a quick, ask a quick question, actually. When you were talking about rezoning there, don't they have to put a notice out to everyone that lives in the area and then they have a meeting and everyone has to basically agree with what you're doing and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely, they do. Yes. The, for the one in Hamilton, it was a, a change of use. Um, but we've also done a few where we did like a grand, basically, we knew the property was in existence prior to uh, that magical date, 1993. I think it's September 1st or something, where the provincial government has mandated all municipalities to recognize any units in existence prior to that date. So it's just a matter of proving that that unit was there prior to that date in 1993. And, you know, I've called in a union gas, had them verify the second meter was installed in, you know, 1988. Well, that will suffice to get that property grandfathered in and approved as a legal duplex. That doesn't need any letters or anything going out. That six bucks in Hamilton did. Um, So depending on what the situation is, that was a change of use zoning. Um, But we've also done uh, converted a commercial uh, variety store into a, um, we've had two units upstairs, turn that into a fourplex. And they do send out letters. At the end of the day, if you understand what you're doing with the property and you're adding value and you're improving the look of it, you're imp- help improving basically the city in and of itself, as small as that may be, the city and the board that makes the decision as to whether they're going to approve your application, so to speak, and let you continue down that path, they're on your side at the end of the day. You know, if you're not trying to, to squeeze in, you know, a bunch of uh, units into a small house and try to make it a, a house that should only be a single family or duplex, try to make it a triplex, and you're going to cause issues with parking, and there's already not enough parking spots in the area, those are the sorts of things that you can go to the city for. Bef- when you still have the property under contract, before you waive conditions, go to the city, ask the questions, find out what issues are, ca- are going on in that neighborhood right now, understand what kind of applications are getting denied and approved. And then you get a really good understanding for what the chances of are for you to do what you need to do on that property before you can weigh those conditions. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think does that, that makes sense. That answer your question. Oh yeah, absolutely. It does. Okay, good. Yeah. Easiest and best ways to, to turn a, a, a crappy property into something great is just, uh, you know, using one of those strategies that you mentioned there to add value. Just uh, as a quick example to see how, like how simple it is. Like, I bought a property, I guess a year ago or so, and within the first, like it had been on the market sitting there on an, on MLS listed for three, four months. Nobody was taking it. We went in, one of the big reasons was there was a tenant in there paying well, well below fair market rent. <laughs> so I know everybody's looking at it like it's not going to cash flow, right? And, exactly. and four or five months down the road, we did exactly what you say. We paid them to leave. Got them out. It took us a little while to get them out, but we we got them out there in in four months or so, and brought up the value. Did just simple cosmetic stuff, and and now at this point we're cash flowing you know eight nine hundred bucks off a duplex. Just simple cosmetic repairs, you know. So it's crazy, and, and nobody wanted to touch that property. No, and it's, and it's surprising what people don't want to do because at the end of the day, I believe it goes back to the, the, the lack of knowledge, the lack of, of education, whatever it may be. They just don't know. And if you don't know those things, you stay away from them because you're fearful, right? You know, Being in this for seven years full time, you start seeing all these little angles that you can take on the different investment properties and finding opportunity where people can't. And you're absolutely right. You run the numbers on where the rents were. And people will sit there and say, wow, they won't even look at the property. They see on the MLS listing, it's only cash, it's only being rented out for, say, 800, and people know it should be at 11, 1200. 
which trust me, there's landlords out there that just don't increase rents for 10 years because they don't want to do the 2% increase every year sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you you start your tenants to get upset with you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So people will look at that on MLS, run the numbers and say, oh, it doesn't cash flow. Where, you know, you take the extra step, you go in there, you check it out and say, you know what, it's not cash flowing just because they have an increased rents. I have a strategy for that. Let me run the numbers based on what the fair market rents are as of today, not what this person's paying. And as long as you, like you said, you own it for four months before you got them out, but that doesn't matter either because you just factor in those extra holding costs during that period of time, right? It just comes down to the numbers. It doesn't matter who gets paid out in the meantime, whether you got to pay off the tenants or whatever. At the end of the day, if the numbers make sense, they meet your minimum requirements requirements, cash on cash, total ROI, that sort of thing, there's still something that makes sense to move forward with. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, that's why you, you want to keep educating yourself in this industry. It's just, there's so many different ways to do, you know, tweak a property in that way. And, and it always helps to know as much as you can, so you can see something and envision something that others can't. Right. Absolutely. And once you start going out there and actually taking that action and doing it, yeah. you start learning so much. And then it's just more and more tools that you have in your toolbox. Exactly. Yeah. So, Eric, how many units or properties do you currently have in your portfolio? Well, uh, it's about 70. We're selling a property on Friday. I'm purchasing another one a week and a half from that. So it's, it's always a moving target, but we're at around 70 units across Ontario, mostly focused in the Barrie, um, Kitchener, Cambridge, and Hamilton area. Okay. We have some down here in the Chatham-Kent Sarney area, uh, just where we started out. And with the values of properties being where they are here, it was a much safer i guess quote unquote way to uh, way to uh, approach it you know we figured if we made mistakes here financially wouldn't be as big of a head as we made the mistakes up in the markets where the house prices are double or triple mm-hmm. yeah you mentioned before that you you were finding these undervalued properties how do you go about marketing for these places <laughs> marketing trying to find them yeah Uh, The undervalued, we actually do have uh, a company out there, KWC Property Buyers, um, that we focus specifically in the KWC area uh, to try to find uh, motivated sellers and and properties like that. At the end of the day, you know, not much has came from those kinds of uh, advertisements. We we do look on Kijiji and a couple things offline like that. We also have our realtors come to us with stuff. You know, we like aged listings. That's a that's a big part of it because obviously there's something with that property. We don't want to get in multiple big type situations. It's very rare for us to get into something like that. Obviously, if a place comes on the market and we know it's undervalued as is, then we might go after that. But for the most part, we find them by putting in time and effort and looking on Kijiji and going and looking at a lot of properties that most people wouldn't just because of how the property is advertised and wherever it is, Kijiji or MLS or whatnot. So we do a lot of traveling and uh, you know t- take chances on some properties. And you know some trips have been a complete waste of time but at the end of the day you know you find that one that one hidden gem so to speak is well worth all the trips that we made mm-hmm. so walk us through the process of how you were able to quit your job and uh, go full-time i know you already touched on that a little bit but like you know i mean there must have been some planning involved it's not like you just with you know maybe you, you mentioned you had a canadian in your hand it wasn't like you had uh you know 10 of them and then decided to quit your job <laughs> Absolutely right. This was uh, I don't I don't think more than a quarter of that was drank when I when I was uh, making this decision. So it definitely wasn't like that. Um, to tell you the truth, you know, the decision then the process for me to quit my day job to me was was nerve wracking, scary, one of the scariest things I have ever done uh, in my life. 
at the same time, I looked at that and said, you know, I'm in a situation where I do not have any dependents. I'm, I wasn't ma- I'm not married, still not. And uh, I, I, I thought that my worst case scenario was if this didn't work out, I could go back to the working world. I was only 22 or 23 at the time, you know, a year at a university working. It was, it, it was a pretty, it was somewhat easy. It wasn't easy to make the decision to have to move back and in with my mother again because I couldn't afford to rent anywhere, those sorts of things. I just said, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. And the way we were able to succeed, I guess, when we first started was having the focus, the ROI-driven investing, the return on investment-driven type of investing. And that's, what, that's really what we looked at. We didn't have much capital. We knew we had a ton of time. And we went out and we scoured. We went, we'd go to Tim Hortons and hand out referral cards. We would go to bars and bingo palaces and, and put up pull tab flyers, uh, you know, put a couple ads in the paper nice and cheap. But we did a ton of things, put out signs, uh, you know, on, on light posts on, on a Friday afternoon because, you know, the city workers weren't coming in till Monday morning and they wouldn't be ripped down uh, until then. We just did a lot of those throw enough stuff against the wall, something's going to stick type of mentality when we first started out. And, you know, we were very open-minded, very creative with a lot of the deals that we did, always keeping in mind that we didn't really have any money to invest in any single property. So we had to find ways to be creative and be able to still take down a deal and really have not much, if any money involved in it, get rid of it quickly, have a quick turnaround, make some cash, and eventually built up enough cash that we could go out and start buying some buying hold type properties we're going to hold on to them for the next five, 10 years sort of thing. Bingo halls. That's a uh, brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And bars too. Like I said, there was, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the sections within the education. Cause well, I know we, we went for the one educational weekend. And then of course we got, we got upsold uh, to a $9,000 package, which wasn't even close to the top and the top one was 55,000, which was, ins- which was crazy. Um, but we took another one and one of those things was all about attracting motivated sellers and trying to find properties and, 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 you know, showing us creative ways to do it. So we took a lot of that information. And then of course, after you get that, that's about, you know, 80, 90% of the way there from the last 10, 20%, you got to make that your own. You know, we, I know we purchased a property um, that, the owners owned outright and didn't want to deal with um, you know all the listing and everything. They called us up. They held the first mortgage for the first eight months, and then we said we buy it outright from them there. And, and within four months, we went in and painted it and got it sold for a profit. And we never put a dollar into the property. And um, that's you know that's the type of pro- properties and investments that we did at the very beginning, just to be able to to get some cash injected into the business so we could go out there and reinvest it. Awesome. Okay, well, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people can make when they start investing in real estate? Well, I would say number one is the inability to take action. (laughs) If you don't take action, you can't invest. Right at the end of the day, that's uh, you know that's something that we've really prided ourselves on: uh, the shoot, ready, aim type of mentality. Go out there, do it. Take your licks and keep on doing it. You can tell a kid how many times, t- several times that the stove's hot until they burn themselves. They're not really going to understand and, and, and truly believe. But after they do it once, they're going to never make that mistake ever again. And that's kind of how real estate investing was. You know, we went out and got educated. There was still a lot of fear associated with going into this business and, and the properties that we did end up purchasing. Um, there was, there was a lot of that fear there. We, 
continued to have faith and took a lot of the education that we had. And that probably limited our, our you know, mistakes <laughs> to about uh, maybe 20 or 30% of what we would have experienced if we didn't take the education. So we knew it was extremely important. But the fear of failing, the fear of making mistakes, you have to accept that for what it is uh, in this business, in my opinion. You have to accept that failure and mistakes are part of the process. And I know I'm talking about mistakes and not taking action is a mistake, but that's much, much bigger than any of the minor mistakes that you're going to make in real estate investing. If you have a, a good education behind you, you've learned enough information, you should have the confidence to go out there and be successful in real estate investing if you apply those principles and what you've learned to to the business, right? Another part uh, I would say would be uh, running the numbers incorrectly. There, you know, I talk to a lot of people and, you know, we hear a lot of the great properties people have purchased and how much they're cash flowing and different things like that. And we start asking interesting questions about what they run for vacancies or property management and a lot of these other things. And at the end of the day, they really don't know what they've made. It's all kind of speculative. They haven't really ran the numbers or they really didn't run them correctly. They purchase a property and they do all the repairs and maintenance themselves. They do all of the property management. In the first you know, year, they didn't have any vacancies. So of course, hey, look at it. I got a great cash flowing property. But what happens when you, you, know, you have a child or you get hurt and you can't do the property management repairs and maintenance yourself? You got to start paying that out break it down, that's an actual negative cash flowing property. So it's not very attractive. In my opinion, you know, running the numbers correctly, if you do that work yourself, then pay yourself. Because the business, that property, that business pays outside contractors. If you pay yourself for the work, great. If you have to step back because your life changes, then that property, that business can pay somebody else for the work and the numbers don't change. That property is still going to produce the exact same returns, whether you do the work or somebody else does. And that's kind of how, how we approach it. You have to look at that, the property and the business like that. And a lot of people don't. And they're, you know, they might be a little bit aggressive with the numbers saying, well, the city average is, is 2%. I'm, I'm going to run that. We always run five, minimum 5% vacancies, right? You know, oh, this is a great property. It's new. It's only five years old. I'm not going to have much repairs and maintenance. I'm going to run that at three, 4%. You know, don't do those sorts of things. Don't get yourself into a situation where all the numbers that you're running are very tight. If you know what the utilities are, don't put in today's numbers, inflate it by a good 15, 20% because that's what you're going to be experiencing a couple of years down the road. And when we run everything, it's very conservative so that we, it's almost kind of like your worst case scenario. If, and I'm, I'm okay with my worst case scenario before moving forward with the property, I'm going to move forward. And if you don't put in that money into repairs and maintenance and you pocket that at the end of the day, that's fantastic. Under promise, over deliver to yourself, right? And lastly, I would probably say, the systemized, repeatable way in which to invest is another and big part of people's failures. They don't know how they evaluated the property. They don't know where they looked for opportunity. They just kind of got into it, got lucky and said, oh, look, at I, I know how to do this. The next time they go out and do it, they may as well fail as miserably as as they succeeded, I guess, in the first time. So those three areas, I guess, I would say are the biggest areas of where people do make a lot of mistakes. So not taking the action, not running the numbers correctly, and not having a systemized way in which they invest. All right. Everyone's going to have to send us about $10 uh, to listen to this podcast now just for the answer to that question right there. That's my <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That was, that, was, that was a great response. I love those answers. And the thing about taking action too is so important. I mean, because there's going to be failures and you're going to make mistakes no matter what. You want to obviously minimize those as much as you can. But I think no matter how, how educated you are, no matter how skillful you are and whatnot, you're going to make little mistakes here and there. And those are eventually what are going to take you forward, right? And make you grow and, st- and gr- make your business grow and all that. Yeah, you can't do that if you don't take action. I love that first one. And so maybe uh, tell us, have you made any big mistakes yourself or anything that has uh, kind of, I'm sure, I'm sure you have, yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe uh, fill us in on a couple of those. I wasn't, I definitely wasn't answering that question just uh, from reading a book. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, you know, yes. I make mistakes. <laughs> I would say one of the, one of the bigger areas of, of making mistakes is renovation side. Cause like I mentioned, everything that we, that we do, it needs work, right? We don't buy turnkey properties. And what I mean by turnkey is everything's already in place. You buy it and it's already run like a, run like a business. The property management's in place, tenants are in place, all that stuff. So we don't buy turnkey. So a lot of the stuff that we do requires renovations, no matter how minimal or how massive they are that's what's required now when we were first uh, earlier on in the investing uh, career what we had uh, done is misunderstood the market and, and not really had a clear understanding that in any neighborhood there's chances are a high majority chance that there's going to be a cap on what a property would be valued at in that market and without understanding that you can get into renovations. You start renovating things like you would want them done as a homeowner, right? And you start going high and, oh, you know what? This would be beautiful. We added this and we can add this. And we kept on not really having a true budget to pay, to, to, to adhere to. And, you know, okay, well, you know what? We can just throw in this in for 300 bucks and this for two. Well, this starts adding up. And then thousands and thousands of dollars later, you're like, wow, I didn't realize that that's where, that's what the total cost was, right? I wasn't really paying attention to the budget. And when it comes time for the refinance or you're, you, you know, say it's a flip and you're going to sell it, it doesn't matter how nice it is inside. There is going to be that ceiling. So they, I could have spent, say you spent fifty thousand dollars in renovations you could very well have spent thirty thousand dollars and get your house appraised at the same at the same price so house appraised or sold because basically they're going to look at comps in the area and if no comp in the area can match that higher value if there's a ceiling there that's what's going to come in it's going to come on the high end of that ceiling but that's still going to be a cap you're not going to have a property appraised for a hundred thousand dollars more than the other most expensive property in that neighborhood it's just not going to happen so understanding where that cap is and making sure that the renovations are in line and the budget's in line so that you can still make money and then adhering to that we got much better within the scope of work that we do we get all the way down to you know how thick the uh, laminate flooring is going to be we make sure all that's decided prior to you know trying to waive conditions bring our contractor in, get all that figured out beforehand and then adhere to the budget if we something happens we open a can of worms then we go back to the budget and we find and we already know beforehand where are some areas that we can cut we can cut back and maybe not go with such high-end fixtures or whatever it may be and so if we open a can of worms we know where we can start cutting little pieces out within the scope of work and say we're not going to do this because this came up and sticking to that budget so at the end of the day we know that we're still going to make money right that's great and like it doesn't take too much for let's just move this wall out of here and open things up for that to turn into a big disaster 
So, Absolutely, yeah. you can. So that that's kind of where where our and our end was more of the you know go go with the high end deals. So let's put brand new uh, cabinetry in here. When the cabinetry that was there, we could have very well just got it painted for a, right. you know instead of spending four grand or five grand, we could have got it done for twelve hundred. Well, you know those those sorts of things start adding up when you, when at the end of the day, and you know we thought with a new cabinetry. Our price would just, the appraisal value or whatever, fair market value at the end would be that much more, but it really wasn't just because the neighborhood in and of itself couldn't justify that higher value. So understanding that was a big part, and that's one of the, definitely one of the bigger mistakes that we made. We still made some money, made some money on the project. Like I said, everything that we've done, we've made you know 15% returns, but 15% returns is quite minimal if you don't invest a lot of money uh, into the project. So I know we we didn't make very much money and spent over 100 hours on that project, and that's really where the failure came from was basically wasting that many hours, that many weeks of work. This is just great. I wish we could keep you on the phone here for another couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys want me back on again, I'm more than welcome to. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back on again. What, uh, there's, only, there's just a couple more here. Do you, do you have time for a few more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what made you want to take the step to help others get educated and start these education businesses that you have? There's a lot of people that we've talked to, networked with, word of mouth, whatever the case may be, just at the end of the day, aren't achieving the results that they want. And hearing those kinds of stories, of course, you know, us sharing ours and, and them sharing theirs, um, they, they kind of saw us, I guess, in, in a different light. And a lot of people started getting a hold of us, asking for advice. We were doing, um, you know, phone calls and, and consultations with people, that sort of thing. And Kevin and I um, made a decision back two, three years ago now uh, with all this coming in. It started taking up a lot of our time. And we thought about doing the coaching. But we want to really focus, we want to focus a lot more on, on investing in and in growing our portfolio. Uh, so, you know, we said if we, if we started doing the coaching, if we got too busy doing that, can we really focus on our main business? So we decided, you know what, let's just take on a couple coaching clients each year. Let's build something so that people can access it 24 seven. People can come back and refresh their memory or they can read specific modules when they're getting into certain situations or certain types of properties, right? So, we thought that putting an educational system online for people to be able to tap into reference and utilize, you know, 24, 7, 365, and we give them lifetime access to this stuff. We thought that that was the, I guess, fairest way to help people. Cause we didn't, we didn't, we weren't in that necessarily to sit there and say, Hey, you know, let's make a ton of money here. Our main business, our main focus is investing and growing our portfolio and we feel that that is we feel so strongly how for that to be of the utmost importance you know people have in our opinion we've we've read some stats and one out of five canadians actually has a plan in place to retire by the age of 60 rbc did a study and reading things like that it it actually it bothers us like it it, I, i can't comprehend people being in those types of situations and then i look at the market and i start to understand why you know the average investor same study average investor if you earn more than three percent a year on your stock market investments mutual funds whatever you are an above average investor so we started looking at that and say that's barely over inflation no wonder people can't do this so we feel so strongly that real estate is the vehicle that allow people to 
have their money work hard for them. And we really just wanted to be able to share our knowledge and our experience with these individuals because we know what they're out there doing. They're out there trying to set themselves up for retirement because if they're not looking after themselves, nobody else is going to. Their financial advisor really isn't. So we saw you know, these individuals that what they wanted and they just weren't able to achieve it their own way of doing it. So we said, let's go ahead, let's build this, let's put all of our knowledge, experience, all of our resources that we've built in their business, let's put all this into an educational system and allow people to really get into this for a very inexpensive, I guess, type of education. So, and then I don't know if that really speaks to your point as to uh, how we took the step there, but um, one, one of the big well, ones. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay. One in five people I thought was pretty high. I mean, I would have thought it was more like one in a hundred, to be honest. <laughs> well, what they're, able to achieve, what they're able to achieve those, um, their plan or not, is a different story, right? Like that yeah. just means that only one in five actually has something in place that they're hoping to you know, follow to get to there, that end result. So, so what is that website that, where you offer this education? We actually, if you go to invest... I-N-V-E-S-T, DRE, which is an acronym for Direct Real Estate Investors, which is our company that we have our portfolio in. So invest, D-R-E-I.ca. You'll see, um, you know, Direct Real Estate Investors, uh, which is where we have um, all of our properties. Strategic Real Estate Investing, which is our educational system uh, online. Uh, with that too, by the way, we also have property analysis software that I have spent countless hours uh, refining and uh, perfecting, I guess, if you will. Kevin, Kevin can be a little aggravating sometimes because he would just come back and say, well, why doesn't, the, why doesn't your spreadsheet do this? And why doesn't it do this? <laughs> and then go back to the drawing board for 10, 12 hours and, and then have the spreadsheet do that. Eventually, I paid somebody to put it into a software. So you can analyze any property, whether it be – because it's kind of like a three-in-one. You can do a flip and bring that up, or you can do a rehab and refinance and bring up that analyzer, or a straight buy and hold where it'll take on you know mortgage plus improvements, or if you're borrowing money from your line of credit for your down payment, it factors in what interest rate you're paying on that, because really, that's interest that needs to be expensed for the property, because that's debt that you wouldn't have, interest payments you wouldn't have if you didn't buy the property, right? So if the spreadsheet, or the software itself, factors in absolutely everything that you can think of when it comes to numbers-wise, so you can truly evaluate a proper a property the right way and make sure and go to bed you know go to bed at the end of the night being able to sleep because you know that every single number was accounted for there's nothing missing you didn't miss evaluate or analyze anything it's all there and if the numbers make sense they meet what you want you can have complete confidence i guess moving forward with it awesome and if people want to uh, I think you cut out a little bit when you were saying the website. So it's investdrei.ca, and we're yeah. going to have that in the show notes, just a link to it. You can get there from there. Is there a quote or a piece of info or advice that's always stuck with you, and how has it helped you? Ah, haha. That real estate and wealth expo that I went to in Toronto, I heard it. I had, oh, absolutely, I'm sorry. It was a, it was that first. $1,000 weekend course that we took that I got upsold with. The presenter there said something to me and spoke to me and it stuck with me ever since. It's, he said, you don't know what you don't know. And it took a little while for that to sink in. But you can't speak truer words than that. Because there's no way to f- know what you don't know. It's, it's out there. And, that's, and when it comes to real estate investing, there's so many things that we just don't know. Unfortunately, 
people see this business as pretty straightforward. You buy your property, you put money in, you put tenants in. How hard can it be? Right. And that is, you know, getting back to mistakes. That's a big one, but there's so much to know going out and getting educated. You're not going to avoid all mistakes. It's just not going to happen, but you are going to avoid 70, 80, 90% of them. And some things that could be so costly that, you know, you make a massive mistake. You may never be able, you may never invest in real estate again because you're too gun shy because you took such a hit on that. So, you know, that quote, I think has stuck with me the most um, and really humbled me because, you know, I understood business, but I didn't understand real estate investing. And that was probably one of the things that opened my mind up to go ahead and spending nine, $9,000 on, on um, some additional education because I really didn't know real estate investing and I didn't know what there was all to know about it. So, you know what? I said, I got to go out and I got to learn this stuff, have it hit home so I can have that education to help me move forward with this business and be successful. Right on. <laughs> That's a great one. I love that. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Can you can, you can say there's so many great things about that quote. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention too was, uh, and I, I don't know if you mentioned the website for it, but we, you were talking quickly about, uh, you know, mutual funds and all that and inflation and, and, and you do have the free report, the bank conspiracy. Am I right? Yes, yeah, so you go to bankconspiracy.ca. Um, we talk about that in there. Um, the, the stats itself was uh, an RBC study that came out, I think, uh, a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. And it was, it was, they did a 10-year stock market and retirement, uh, um, I guess, analysis. So that's they took 10 years of stock market information and they took 10 years and basically surveyed a bunch of Canadians as to where they sit with their retirement, so to speak. So that's where that came from. I, um, I can look at pulling that report up and uh, maybe I can give you guys a link to it. I'm not exactly sure about that. I just know that uh, I referenced the article and I have the footnote in my slides, so I'm not uh, plagiarizing. <laughs> so that's, that's about all I know. Great. And I know uh, if, if anyone's out there kind of listening to this and they are still thick and, you know, not sure if real estate's for them, they want to invest in something else or whatnot, you know, just read that report and uh, and they're probably going to get turned away from a lot of the other crap that's out there pretty quickly, I'd say. Yes. And that's, and that's, one, that's one of the main reasons when we wrote the, the e-book, you know, our whole point was if you want to invest in the market, go ahead. We just know that there's so many people that are uneducated investing that they just Blindly hand the money over to the financial advisor, banking officer, whoever that they work with at the bank or wherever, investors group, whatever the case may be. They hand the money over, they get the statements, they file away, and that's it. Our whole thing is go out, get yourself educated. If you want to invest in the stock market, go ahead as long as that is an educated decision, not just a blind decision, not just a decision made because you know you just don't want to look into something because you don't understand it. Our whole point is have you know spend a couple hours or an hour probably to read that thing, get educated, and then make your decisions from there. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's <laughs> there's a great quote that's on one of the shows that I listen to, and he, when he's talking about mutual funds, he always says like there's a lot of things to consider. Like you may be investing with a crook, you may be investing with an idiot, and assume you're not. Assume the guy's competent. Assume that he's not a crook. They take a huge management fee right off the top. So a bunch of stuff to look out for right off the bat with that with that kind of investing, and I and I agree with that. You get out, read some stuff, get educated, and at the end of the day, when you go in and talk to them, 
at least you know your stuff. You can ask the tough questions and then you can find out, well, you know, even if I do make 6% on my money after the fees, what am I actually making? Right. And there's a lot of tools and resources out there. Like I have a simple spreadsheet people could email in and ask me for and I figure out exactly what you're making in your mutual funds just by punching in some numbers. It'll tell you what your average yearly ROI is since the time you started investing. Those are things that you, we should know about, especially if you're looking to get into real estate. You don't want to be getting out of one investment that's been earning you at six or eight percent, which is highly unlikely, and you know, be holding on to the one that's getting two percent. Right? You do your own analysis, figure out where you need to pull money from first, and start investing into real estate, and then getting the higher, you know, fifteen percent returns on your money. And it's unbelievable what the difference is over the long term. Five, not just five years, but you look 15, 20, 25 years down the road. It's unbelievable the amount of money you can accumulate by investing at 15% as opposed to three, four, five. Awesome. All right. I guess, uh, Rob, we pretty much finished up here, are we? Time's, well, time's where, running where, I'm sure there's just a couple more places. Like, are you on Twitter? Or where can people learn more about you? Where can people learn more? Of, uh, if you um, go on Facebook, direct real estate investors uh, would be on there. Uh, but I would probably say if you go to investdre.ca, um, right on there, you can find the about us. You can find our Twitter handle, which is, um, I do believe it's at investdre. Um, and you can find the link to the Facebook. You can also Google direct real estate investors. You can Google strategic real estate investing. And I know it's not really that's not what the podcast is about, but Investor Agent Training is our other company because there's very few agents that know how to work with us. So we developed some education for agents on uh, being uh, investor agent certified, we, we call it. So we educate them on how to speak our language, how to deal with us, and how to really please us as clients. So that's InvestorAgentTraining.com, which is another area. That's another one of our companies. But InvestDre.ca has all three companies. And uh, when I say Dre, D as in direct, R as in real. E for state, I for investors. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on, and we are going to hold you to that offer of coming back on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I have no, no problems. I love sharing my experience, my knowledge. So hopefully somebody can get, pick a little tidbit up from this and uh, be able to improve their own portfolios. Yeah, and we got to, one last time, just give our own uh, endorsement here to go check out uh, what Eric's got to share with everyone. Uh, if you're listening to this and, and haven't invested yet or you're just really at any stage of your investment career, you're wanting to get started or just learn more, learn about the crap that's out there with mutual funds and all that stuff, Eric and, uh, you know, through his companies have a ton of great uh, education, I know, ready there to share with you. So you should definitely at least take the first step to, to looking into them and, and see what they're all about. Yes, and I would also throw out there that uh, time permitting, I, I don't mind answering emails and, and helping people out direct. So feel free to email me, emitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at investory.ca. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Not Eric. a problem. Thanks for having me on here. You guys have a great night. It was good speaking with you. Thanks, Eric. Awesome. Great stuff. Right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. They're still up. there. You hear me, Sandy? They're still up. there. You hear me, Sandy? They're up. still there. You hear me, Sandy?
They're still up. there. They're still up. there. You hear me, Sandy? They're up. still there. You hear me, Sandy? They're still up. there. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I got you. Yeah. 